Yo, today's QOD is you get rewarded for giving up your humanity. Here we go. Welcome back to the Quarter of the Day Show. I'm your host, Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. You know, I'm a little bit mad at myself right now because, you know, Les Brown was on the show yesterday and he was talking about matching your intentions with actions. And one intention that I had for the month of February, since it's Black History Month, was to bring on, you know, different thought leaders that are saying something different from the common narrative around being Black in America. I'm kind of mad at myself again for not doing that. Anyway, um, so expect me to sprinkle some more of this content in throughout the year. But since today is the last day of Black History Month, I want to have Shelby Steele on the show. A couple of weeks ago, we had Jason L. Riley. I love Jason Riley. I love Thomas Sowell. However, my favorite author in this space is Shelby Steele because it makes so much sense and it's also highly readable as well. Some of the other authors just aren't as readable as I'd like them to be. Now, Shelby is going to talk about the problems that come out of the racial policies that we have today. And before he talks about them, I want to tell you two quick stories about my personal experience with this, because we very seldom hear the other side of this. Story number one is this. When I went to college, I was placed in the, what is say, diversity dorm. And it was the educational opportunity dorm. I was in that program. And, you know, a couple months into school, the kids in my dorm, many of which were inner city kids and students, they found out that I can write really well. And they would say, hey, Sean, I got this paper due. Um, can you look at this draft and tell me what I need to do to make it better? And I will never forget I'm 17 years old. I went to school a little bit early, November birthday. I'm 17 years old, reading these papers and saying to myself, I didn't say this to them, but saying to myself, this student shouldn't be here. Like there's, there's, there's no way that someone who writes at this level should be at a university, at this university. Because some of this writing was like sixth, seventh, maybe eighth grade level writing. And this is a problem because those students, they should have been at a community college. They should have been at a less competitive college in order to develop those skills that they need to be at a university, at a kind of university that we were at. And what happened was these students were there because they had to, the, the university had to meet a quota. They needed so many black students to be there. So they're like, okay, we'll just let these folks in, which is like dropping these students into the deep end of the pool and saying, hey, let's see if you can swim. That is just simply not the right thing to do. I understand that, you know, you're trying to, to, to do right by us and, and such and such, but it's just not helping. Because I'm sure you can imagine after that freshman year, I'm sure you can imagine how many of those students came back. 
not many of them came back to school for the second year. And you have to imagine the psyche of being that, that student who, who left home to go to college and was super proud of it and a year later was back home. You got to imagine what that does to somebody's self-esteem. You got to imagine where they are right now because of that experience. So these are things that we don't talk about. I got one more story for you. This happened very recently, and it's very, very fresh and still bothers me. I was invited. I'm going to give you the really short version. I was invited to do something um, for, I will just say, organization. And I was super proud. I was like, oh, my gosh, they invited me to do this. They're giving me this opportunity. That is amazing because they could have picked so many other people. And I felt so honored. And then, you know, a couple of months passed by and we're getting close to the date of the thing that they wanted me to do with them. And they send over the agenda. And it's people of color, multiculturalism, Black History Month. This wasn't the deal. Like that, this isn't what I agreed to. This isn't what you told me that it was going to be when you invited me to do it. And that is just simply the wrong thing to do. And of course, I, I responded back and I declined to do this thing. And I let them know, I don't want to be part of your, your diversity agenda or your budget or your quota or whatever the, the hell that this is. Like, I, I'm, I'm good. I don't want to be on the people of color track. I want to be on the same track as anybody else. And I think people don't realize how those situations damage the self-esteem of individuals. To know that I was only invited because of the color of my skin, like that whew, still bothers me, as you can tell. I'm a pretty confident dude. But a situation like that plants a seed of self-doubt. Like you're not good enough. The only way you're going to get an opportunity if somebody lets you in the door because you're black or because you're a person of color. And again, it doesn't feel good to us, to a lot of us, to be allowed to do something when we're, I don't know, not qualified. You're not qualified, but come on, do it because you're black. Like that's... <laughs> I understand where it's coming from, but the results of it obviously aren't working. So stop. Shelby Still is going to talk more about this. He's coming up. Well, my feeling is that almost all of the racial policy since the Great Society, since 1965, has been designed not to solve racial problems, but to dissociate our, our institutions and our government from its racist past, and to restore moral authority and legitimacy to the government. Um, you see, for example, a few years ago in the affirmative action case, the Michigan case uh, that was decided, um, there were 100 briefs were submitted to the Supreme Court um, in favor of racial preferences by every imaginable American institution, from corporations to city governments, uh, even the military submitted a brief. Uh, you notice there was no march on Washington in favor of affirmative action by blacks, by black people or other minorities, nothing. But this, this extraordinary pressure from America's institutions 
arguing that, that the Supreme Court ought to allow r racial preferences to stay in place. Well, again, why? I think the reason is because those institutions are saying, look, we are under a stigma. We are under, we, our legitimacy is at stake here. We have to have a way to prove, to indicate that we're not like that anymore, that we're not a, an exclusive uh, racist institution. We are, a, we are a, an open, inclusive, that's the new word, inclusive institution uh, that allows, that wants everybody in our midst. And so we have to have diversity policies, and we have to be able to bring in minorities uh, so that they're here because, again, our entire legitimacy depends on it. Harvard University, Stanford University, all of the Ivy League have to have about 8% of every single freshman class be black. Has to be. Not seven, not six, but at least eight. <laughs> um, probably without racial preferences, about 1% to 2% of every freshman class would be black. So the, 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 the rest, the 7%, uh, are the result of racial preferences. I've written a lot about how that, the, the negative effects I think that has on minorities. Uh, I think one of the cruelest things a society can do is to take uh, the, the best and the brightest young black Americans and, and, and basically say to them, you simply cannot compete with the best and brightest of other races. We won't allow you to do that. You can't do it. You have to depend on our paternalism. Well, what a cruel thing to do to a group that's trying to overcome four centuries uh, of oppression. But does the administration at Harvard or Stanford or Yale or Princeton or any of those schools care about the impact that they're having on black students, the way they're stigmatizing them as second raters? Even that one or two percent who would have gotten into that institution anyway? They say, look, we have to have 8% blacks in our freshman class. We don't care about you because that our whole legitimacy, the legitimacy of our institution depends on that. If we go down to 1% or 2%, then we are going to be stigmatized as a racist university. Faculty won't want to come here. We will lose money. We will lose grants. Our institution will decline in its, in, in its whole. Uh, we, will, we will lose our reputation in, in, in every way. And so, baby, we're going to have 8% blacks in this freshman class if we got to go and no matter what we have to do to get them. Because it's the dissociation from the stigma that, that is, is so necessary uh, to, to the, the legitimacy of, of the institution. 1970s, the early 70s, we began to practice a welfare in America where we basically said to people, uh, this is coming out of the welfare rights movement and coming out of the civil rights movement, uh, we basically said to people, okay, we'll give you a little bit better than subsistence living and you don't have to do anything at all? Nothing. Don't have to educate yourself or your children. Don't be married. In fact, you can't be married. You can't have a whole family. Um, 
And if your children grow up and they have children, then, of course, we'll, we'll put them on the dole, too. And they, too, don't have to do anything. So it's one of these, these odd situations where you, you actually put an incentive in place for human inertia. You get rewarded for being nothing, for doing nothing. Nothing. You get rewarded for, in a sense, giving up your humanity. Well, what kind of society other than one trying to dissociate from the stigma of racism, one other acting guilty, would put in place a policy like that? Well, again, white guilt policy, policy that is, that is designed for, that the, its purpose really is not to help the people it, it, uh, it, 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 who uh, it says it wants to help, but uh, uh, that, again, gives the society itself a way to dissociate from racism and say, oh, well, see, we're not, we're not a racist society, and we know blacks have had it rough, and so we're going to give them welfare, and we're going to, uh, without any strings attached, that's just how wonderful and generous we are. <laughs> well, will you put that in place? And, of course, it was at that precise moment in American history that the black underclass began to develop. Uh, that we began to have people of uh, uh, illegitimacy rates. Um, even to this very day, the, the illegitimacy rate in black Americans is about 70%. In many inner city communities, the, the illegitimacy rate is 90%. Oh. There was a rapper a couple of weeks ago who said, marriage is for white people. Um, well, you, 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 slavery and segregation came nowhere close to injuring the black family in the way that these welfare policies, these white guilt welfare policies injured, uh, if not destroyed, the, 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 the black family in America. It was, it was precisely the black family that had enabled blacks to survive slavery and segregation. It was the black family that was the, the primary institution in black America that enabled us to, to survive uh, all of that oppression. And so now in freedom, in freedom, because we live in a society that acts, doesn't feel, but acts guiltily toward us all the time, and, and it doesn't feel it has the moral authority to ever ask anything of us, um, we get policies that, that uh, injure us more profoundly than our oppression did. That was Shelby Steele. He does not have a website, but I highly recommend you read his books. Uh, start with White Guilt, then read the content of our character, then read Shame. Then if you're still interested, which you will be, check out A Dream Deferred. Also watch this entire talk. It's 90 minutes, but it's totally worth it. The topic that he gets into next is mind-blowing about freedom and what freedom really is and how freedom is scary. So check that out. The talk is called, it's on YouTube. It is called Shelby Steele is White Guilt Destroying the Promise of Civil Rights. That is it for me. Follow me on the Instagram for daily QOD reels, and I will see you tomorrow with Jim Rohn. I'm out. Peace. Thank you.